Welcome to Constantinople Forum, a podcast of the St. Constantine School. My name is Megan Muller, and joining me here today, some of our faculty. I've got Kate Gilbert. Hello. Uh, Dr. Timothy Bartell. Hello. And Dr. Robert Stacy. Hello there. And uh, today we are going to be discussing a poem by Anne Bradstreet called Verses Upon the Burning of Our House, July 10th, 1666. Now that's the short version of the title. The long version of the title is... Here follows some verses upon the burning of our house, July 10th, 1666, copied out of a loose paper. <laughs> Valuable information for those who may follow. All right, uh, does somebody want to start us off by reading it out loud? I will. Great. In silent night, when rest I took, for sorrow near I did not look, I wakened, was with thundering voice, and piteous shrieks of dreadful voice. That fearful sound of fire and fire, let no man know is my desire. I, starting up, the light did spy, and to my God my heart did cry to straighten me in my distress, and not to leave me succorless. Then, coming out, behind the space, the flame consumed my dwelling place. And when I could no longer look, I blessed his name that gave, and took that laid my goods now in the dust. Yea, so it was, and so twas just. It was his own, it was not mine. Far be it that I should repine. He might of all justly bereft, he might of all justly bereft, but yet sufficient for us left. When by the ruins oft I passed, my sorrowing eyes aside did cast, and here and there the places spy where oft I sate and long did lie. Here stood the trunk, and there that chest. There lay the store I counted best. My pleasant things in ashes lie, and then, behold, no more shall I. Under thy roof no guest shall sit, nor at thy table eat a bit. No pleasant talk shall e'er be told, nor things recounted done of old. No candle e'er shall shine in thee, nor bridegroom's voice e'er heard shall be. In silence ever shalt thou lie, adieu, adieu, all's vanity. Then straight again my heart tried, and did thy wealth on earth abide? Didst fix thy hope on mouldering dust, the arm of flesh did make thy trust? Raise up thy thoughts above the sky, that dunghill mists away may fly. Thou hast a house on high erect, framed by that mighty architect, with glory richly furnished, stands permanent, though this be fled. It's purchased and paid for too by him who hath enough to do. A price so vast as is unknown, yet by his gift is made thee own. There's wealth enough, I'd need no more. Farewell, my pelf, farewell, my store. The world no longer let me love. My hope and treasure lies above. This couplet rhyme scheme does something very interesting. There are no stanza breaks mm -hmm. in in this poem, and I feel like the formatting with the couplet allows you to track with what's being said. And there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot being said. <laughs> I had always remembered, it's been probably a couple of years since I read this, I had always remembered this as being an iambic pentameter, but it's not, it's an iambic tetrameter, mm -hmm. which we associate with hymns, right? Mm -hmm. In Silent Night, When Rest I Took, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Right. Mm -hmm. It's right. the same line uh, length and and rhythm structure, so it it moves at a little faster clip than I re than I seem to recall, um, and it also keeps reminding me of hymns. Yes, 
especially that the world no longer let me love my hope and treasure lies above this the structure of, of the movement of the author's emotion moves mm-hmm. much like a hymn would as well it does mm-hmm. you often get that second to last verse or, or third to last uh, where you're disappointed in something or you're recognizing the fallenness of a world or uh, yourself and then it builds from there um, into hope again Megan's right there are no stanza breaks but you can almost sort of hear the verses yeah. of the hymn we just need a chorus right exactly <laughs> right. I find you know, I've actually I, I've read this a number of times this is one of my favorites but um, it's a little more poignant you know our community has just been through a, a pretty serious disaster I mean yeah. people's mm-hmm. homes have been destroyed by floods mm-hmm. it's not quite the same thing but um, but seeing that devastation like knowing that all that you have worked for in a material way yes uh, that it's, it's it drives us home to me a little bit more I've never had mm-hmm. I know I never lost my house but uh, mm-hmm. now I have friends who have mm-hmm. and this is just a bit different thing. and she focuses on um, some of the belongings too mm-hmm. um, I I live in a rented home and so the structure itself isn't particularly important to me sure but I have a chest that belonged to my grandmother that she gave me and Mm-hmm. And having a flood or a fire take that away would be very significant right. to me. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's what's hurt so many in something like a house fire or as we've experienced a great flood mm-hmm. is that it's not just the structure that goes. It's all the things within the structure that have made up your life. Yeah. Just recently, uh, you know, again, I've had so many friends who have been touched in a way like this. Uh, and what they reminded me is that once you sort of in a flood, right, or in a fire, right, you, you empty out sort of all the stuff that's left behind, right? You kind of have to pull out the because it's gonna, it's, you know, it's gonna rot. Mold, I mean, you yeah. can't have that, right? Mm-hmm. So, but surrounding you now are sort of is the, the debris of your life, and it's mm-hmm. there, and it's gonna be there maybe for weeks to come. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually, you know, trucks will come and haul all that away. But but yeah. there's constant reminders, and, and and she has the same issue, right? She uh, in line, I think it's line twenty five. When by when by the ruins oft I passed, she has to walk mm-hmm. past the remains of her house every day. Mm-hmm. You know, wherever she, it's a small town, or wherever she's going, there's the constant reminder of what yeah. she used to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can sort of see in that um, the image of a burned out house. Yeah, right. Um, where you see only the bare structure of the rooms. Here's where mm-hmm. we ate dinner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, here's where we had this conversation. Here's where I would have hoped a bridegroom would come for a child or something like that once they were grown, um, and that won't happen. Yeah, the where oft I sat and long did lie, here stood that trunk, and there that chest, there lay that store I counted best. Uh, And then that, I I think, maybe one of the most devastating and uh, perhaps figuratively suggestive lines in the poem is, my pleasant things in ashes lie. Mm -hmm. Um, That wouldn't be out of place uh, perhaps in like a heartbroken song over, over love or something like that. But here it's very much literal. literal. Yeah. yeah. Whereas <laughs> yeah. usually we, right. uh, oh, my life is in ruins. Why? Yeah. Ah, she is gone. She yeah. is gone. But no, like no, literal ruins it. are in front that's of right me. there. Yeah. I think that use of the word pleasant surprises mm-hmm. me. I would have expected, you know, precious or something like that. The mm-hmm. word pleasant sort of already evokes this. Mm-hmm. These are the things that are most important to me. But at best, she's calling them. Pleasant. Yeah, they're it's, pleasant. It's it's they're comforting. Yeah. They're good, mm-hmm. but they're not. She's not storing too much value in them at this point. I'm very curious about in the previous line. There lay that store I counted best because mm-hmm. it's all very visual and we're able to imagine mm-hmm. it. 
but I don't know what she's pointing at, and I'm very mm -hmm. curious. Some what is that stuff? Is right, it? right. So like the lines that follow, under thy roof now guests shall sit. Like yeah. that's a that's an experience, right? That's mm -hmm. not a possession. Uh, at nor at thy table eat a bit. Like that's you know the common meal. That's mm -hmm. we're not going to be able to do that anymore. Not not, not there. Not in this way. I I, I recently read an, an article about what strikes victims of catastrophic loss. And again, it was because of what Houston is going through right now. But the author was pointing out that one of the things about losing your home is what often um, affects people most is the fact that they don't have their favorite shirt. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, yeah. not a, it's not a valuable possession, right. but it's right. something that you have sort of taken for granted as a level of comfort that you're used to. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, or yeah, you don't have that chair that you would go in and sit in the morning and that mug that you would use for your coffee. Um, and these are sort of like trifling possessions, but they're things that have marked our lives mm -hmm. and losing them all, um, all at once is a kind of uh, disorientation that is significant. That struck me about those same verses of thinking, oh, those dinners that we had together are fundamentally changed now. Mm -hmm. Right. And this would have been, I mean, we, we sort of still do this in modern society, but this poem was written in 1666. Anne Bradstreet would have been collecting some of these things from the time yes. she was a right. child right. because women would store away what they were mm -hmm. going to take with them when they got married, you know, yeah. a hope mm -hmm. chest. Yeah. Um, it wasn't so, a throwaway society. Right, right. So their, their possessions were things that had not just been owned by them, but perhaps by their parents or their grandparents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and... You know, it's not like now when you send a kid to college and you just go into Target and right. buy, you yeah. know, one of everything right. for their mm -hmm. dorm room brand yeah. new and that's it. Um, it. These these possessions have been, you know, maybe hundreds of years in the collecting um, if they're family heirlooms. But, it, you know, and she came to America uh, with her new husband when she was a, a teenager, yeah, I think. Literally. Yeah, literally. Um, and so there's a, also this sort of there's another layer of loss because yeah. she's an a, you know a British mm. woman who's living in America, got married very young, is far away from her family. Whatever she was able to bring with her, which wouldn't have been much, mm -hmm. is now gone too. The the layers of loss. It's not just the stuff. It's the it's the experiences with people, but yeah. it's also the history of yeah. those things that the memories attached to. Those yeah, things. and it's it's. I think it's important to remember that because we do live in a much more sort of throwaway society. Mm -hmm. When I think, mm -hmm. you know, when when we started to gather up the things that we wanted to try to save if our house was going to flood, I was surprised by the number of things that it became clear that I was going to be able to replace without feeling too badly about it, just mm -hmm. because they weren't things that I had acquired meaningfully. Hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a line towards the end of that section, right? So we're sort of counting all the things there. Towards the end of that, I don't even know how to, to think about this. It might be even the last one. Nor bridegroom's voice yeah. e'er heard shall be. What bridegroom? Is that like, is that her husband? Is that her son and his new wife, her daughter and her new... Like, think about what happens in a home, mm -hmm. right? And, and that first time you welcome maybe your children back as married newlyweds, right? Oh, but not anymore. Yeah, that, that line really stood out to me as well. That speaks of generations right, in a right. home. That it, it's as if it's not just her home. It's it's generations from the future right, that right. are going to no longer have this place. In that it's not a throwaway culture. It's not just they keep all their clothes and linens and furniture. It's people live in houses for 
well, they will live unhoused for centuries. And mm-hmm. my guess is many of the houses from, um, you know, the colonial period, we, we carefully try to keep and restore. We were talking about that yesterday a bit. We, we love our colonial history mm-hmm. um, so much. This is something that could have been an heirloom for all of history that is now burnt and gone. I, Megan, I'm, I'm thinking a bit about the, about the double loss, because that strikes me too, that this is a poem uh, from a colonial who's lost the old world. And I'm, I'm wondering about interpreting it as a poem, not just about personal individual loss, but about the loss of the old world as a whole. And it's interesting to see the loss of the culture of Europe and especially the culture of England as a natural disaster, mm-hmm. as opposed to a disaster that is, that is chosen. Right? We usually think of people fleeing Britain or coming over to win, win fortune or something like that. It's interesting to think of that colonial experience as a natural disaster. The old world is gone as if in a house fire. And this would have been a this would have been a rough colonial United States. It's 1666. Yeah. It's yeah. We are more than a hundred years away from the foundation of uh, the United States of America. If you want to go the other way, it's probably only what twenty or thirty years since that colony was established. Period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thirty years ago, this was wilderness. So that that strikes me as adding um, weight to the pleasant thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. maybe if we were to say my pleasant things are, um, you know, destroyed, I can go and get a lot more pleasant sure. things. Walmart has a whole store full. Yeah, if you are, well, maybe, maybe somewhere else, but <laughs> um, looking for particularly pleasant things. But um, if you're in pre-colonial in some ways, mm-hmm. America, mm-hmm. and the pleasant things of Europe have been destroyed, there is no replacing them. Right, yeah. You can't go to the country store yeah. even. There's right. not, yeah. th- there is no one selling what you've lost. Yeah, mm-hmm. anything that you would replace is not going to be what it was if you were, had brought it from, from your old country. You have to reinvent the industry that will eventually, yeah. in decades or maybe even a century or two, be able to produce furniture at that rate and style yeah. or yeah. Um, cutlery yeah china garments anything that mm. was not homespun there's there's no there's no replacing it though i think of i think of laura ingalls wilder uh, there's a point where they're about to leave the little house in the big woods and she points out Pa didn't bring the furniture because he could just make more. Mm-hmm. And that always struck me as, oh, that's so different than <laughs> our society. So, uh, so I wonder also if the colonial mindset is, well, we'll rebuild it, and everyone would have built furniture or houses. That, but it's not going to be claw-footed, yeah. Yeah. you know. It's not uh, the stuff you would have gotten in London. Edwardian, yeah, you know, furniture that was, you know, handed down. It's not going to, yeah, I'm, I'm imagining like the gilded frames and mm-hmm. the, you know. Well, and that that makes me think that there's an overtone of life will be new in the new world in a way that that necessitates the old world passing away. Mm-hmm. Also, that Anne Bradstreet in some of her earlier poetry has this idea that she she's the new voice from the new land. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I keep wanting to interpret this in historical, political, and even literary critical ways. Like this is, this is 
a new type of poetry that says goodbye to the old world. Um, I don't know how much we could we could push on that because clearly it's an autobiographical poem about loss. Sure. Mm-hmm. But I keep wondering if this I, is her her own expression seems to be more along the lines of you know God gave me these things, but they aren't the things I need. Right, the things I so what I have yeah. is already secure. Right, so yeah. I mean, we haven't gotten there, but the verses that come after this, you know, sort of after the description of what she's lost, it's sort of heavenly looking now. Mm-hmm. Like okay, I'll, I, I'll be okay. Those things are gone, but what I really need, I already have. Mm-hmm. And that in itself, I think I associate with a particular uh, colonial, maybe New England mindset. Sure, that sure. Our, our hope is set. We're pilgrims passing through this world to yeah. heaven. The new world is just a stop along the way. Yeah. She's still better off than the first group that settled, you know, that came off that boat. I have trouble with, uh, at the end of the description of going back to the house for the first time, in those first, I don't know, maybe 10 lines. She says, and when I could no longer look, I blessed his name that gave and took. Mm-hmm. Um, is that in the Psalms? Uh, blessed be the name of the Lord, he gave and took away. Is that, oh, is that, oh, that was Job, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. That's right, early um, in Job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Before it goes south. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Further south. Before there's less blessing, yeah. <laughs> um, I bless his name that gave and took, that laid my goods now in the dust. Yea, so it was, and so t'was just. Mm-hmm. Um, it was his own, it was not mine, far be it that I should repine. He might of all justly bereft, but yet sufficient for us left. That he could take all mm-hmm. from me justly, but there would still be enough. Mm-hmm. He would have left me enough. Mm-hmm. He would have left me what I need, right. and there's th- th- that that identification. Seeing leaving the house, I can't bear to look anymore. I turn away. I bless the name of the Lord, and then I say it's just for this to have happened. I get it's explainable or it's plausible, right. but right. calling it justice just. is yeah. uh, is challenging. Yeah, I, I think the modern mindset. We, we would say, I want that to be earned a little more. You're not mm-hmm. even halfway into the poem and you're already reconciling <laughs> yourself with it. How, we, how are you doing that? Well, you know, there's that. So the Puritans have a pretty uh, robust view of sin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is one way of putting that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about this today, in fact. So, you know, her view of what's, what does a human, what does she as a human deserve? To be stripped of all this and more, to be crushed, to be pulverized, that would be just, right? The fact that God didn't do all the things he could, her view of all the things he could is pretty extensive. Mm-hmm. And merely burning my house seems like just a gentle reminder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no one died. Yeah, uh, right, it, right. They, they all got out and were able to watch the house burn and write poetry about exactly. it. Exactly. Well, there is something to that, right? The fact that I can sort of now sort of you know decompress and respond to this, mm-hmm. that's actually a positive thing. Mm-hmm. When first I read it, I thought it was that it was just because it was his own, it was not mine. But she actually says it was just before she even mm-hmm. makes that statement. Mm-hmm. Yea, so it was, and so it was just. Just the fact that it happened, mm-hmm. um, sort of asserting, well, it happened, so it must be just. Yeah, yeah. Or God allowed it to happen, so it must be just. Yeah. And then she goes on to reflect, it was his anyways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that this is in the first person. I mean, I, th- I think as far as we know from her biography, this actually literally happened as she recounts mm-hmm. it. But I like that it's not a, hey, person whose house just burnt down. It's just, it oh, was yeah. God's anyway. Because right. I feel oh, like there sure. is a, there's a type of poetry that does that. There's a, a trend in, in late colonial poetry, 
writing to people who have lost loved ones, trying to comfort them and remind them that they're in heaven now. And I often have a hard time reading those because it it's, no, this isn't you reflecting on your own loss. This is you comforting someone else in their loss. And yeah. I kind of think you're not allowed yeah. to, to preach. Yeah, sure. uh, yeah, to be this preachy. But mm-hmm. but this is this is her reflecting mm-hmm. on her own loss. And so I think it does give a, give some authority to her saying, look, I'm experiencing mm-hmm. it. And I'm counting it just. Yeah. We referenced Job earlier. This is yeah. like Job without all the friends piling on top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Should we read it one more time right now? Sure, I'll, I'll go for it. Mm-hmm. In silent night when rest I took, for sorrow near I did not look. I wakened was with thundering noise and piteous shrieks of dreadful voice. That fearful sound of fire and fire let no man know is my desire. I starting up the light did spy, and to my God my heart did cry to straighten me in my distress and not to leave me succorless. Then, coming out, behold a space, the flame consumed my dwelling place. And when I could no longer look, I blessed his name that gave and took, that laid my goods now in the dust. Yea, so it was, and so t'was just. It was his own, it was not mine, far be it that I should repine. He might have all justly bereft, but yet sufficient for us left. When by the ruins oft I passed, my sorrowing eyes aside did cast, and here and there the places spy, where oft I sat and long did lie. Here stood that trunk, and there that chest, there lay that store I counted best. My pleasant things in ashes lie, and them behold no more shall I. Under thy roof no guest shall sit, nor at thy table eat a bit. No pleasant talk shall e'er be told, nor things recounted done of old. No candle e'er shall shine in thee, nor bridegroom's voice e'er heard shall be. In silence ever shalt thou lie. Adieu, adieu, all's vanity. Then straight I gin my heart to chide. And did thy wealth on earth abide? It's fix thy hope on mouldering dust. The arm of flesh didst make thy trust? Raise up thy thoughts above the sky, that dunghill mists away may fly. Thou hadst a house on high erect, framed by the mighty architect, with glory richly furnished, stands permanent though this be fled. It's purchased and paid for too by him who hath enough to do. A price so vast as is unknown, yet by his gift is made thine own, there's wealth enough. I need no more. Farewell, my pelf, farewell, my store. The world no longer let me love. My hope and treasure lies above. So we were talking about something like a quicker comfort than maybe we were comfortable with Mm -hmm. in the beginning of the poem. But for me, the really heart-rending passage comes after. Mm -hmm. So she starts with some comfort, like this Mm -hmm. was his, this was just, this Mm -hmm. happened. But then she has to go back and look at the house. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And so it's not so easily bought. Right. Yeah. Because then she has to go back, and that's when she remembers this is where yeah. our table was. It's a great point. Right. Um, right. And has to remind herself again. And it's, she says, this is where this was, this is where that was. And then she starts talking to the house like mm-hmm. it's someone who's died. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh-huh. It's, 
uh, hmm. under thy roof, nor at thy table. No candle shall ever shine in thee. In silence ever thou shalt lie. It's it's a death. It's She's talking to somebody who's died, and that's when she says, adieu, adieu, all's vanity. Mm-hmm. Adieu. She's saying literally goodbye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then right after that, it's then straight I begin my heart to chide. Um, she realizes that she's sort mm-hmm. of allowed herself to lapse back yeah. into mm-hmm. mourning the loss of an inanimate object the way you would mourn a human. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that all's vanity, which is you know, kind of echoes Ecclesiastes, mm-hmm. right? Like you can almost see her, like, yeah, that's I'm falling into that pattern, and I shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I like though that she focuses on a heavenly home, mm-hmm. so it's mm-hmm. it's not just a okay, it's gone, I need to move on. It's this thing I love is okay to love, but the object was misplaced. Like mm. this, did I? Uh, fix my hope on moldering dust. No, I need to remember the real house that's coming. Mm-hmm. Right. The one framed by a mighty architect. It, it reminds me it's a little platonic in, in that yeah. sense. There's <laughs> sort of this, I, I love these images, but I'm now moving from the image to the to the higher heavenly t- true form of house. Form of home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not just form of house, it's form of home. Right, mm-hmm. right. What is pelf? I, I know, actually don't know, that, that word, word was killing me. My pelf. It sounds quite good there, but. Mm-hmm. I think I assumed it was something like store. Yeah. Yeah. Like a repetition. My stuff. Mm-hmm. It sounds, the word sounds like, uh, sounds more dismissive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, yeah. In this, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Farewell, my pelf. Uh, mm-hmm. Farewell, all of those Fs. It just sort of mm-hmm. makes it sound like it's not as big of a deal. But the repetition of the word store. Mm-hmm is like at the very center of the poem when she says, mm-hmm. there lay that store I counted best. Whatever mm-hmm. that is, we don't know. It could just be a general idea, mm-hmm. a general notion of stuff. It could be, you know, something, but it's that it's that, that word that comes back. All the chocolate. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I thought of it as like, you know, like you can see other people's homes and stuff, mm-hmm. and the stuff in your home is the stuff you count as best. Yeah. So like, it could be the whole place. Oh. Mm-hmm. The store she counted yeah. best is, yeah. or a whole room. Yeah, you know, maybe it's right. your bedroom where you yeah. kept your treasure. Right, mm-hmm. just made valuable because it's yours. Yeah, mm-hmm. your rich neighbor maybe has better stuff, but this mm-hmm. is your stuff. Mm-hmm. And so then, when she finally says she's saying goodbye to it because she no longer has the store she counted best on earth, she has to look above. I'm very impressed by her description of what happens when she wakes in the middle of the night and finds that her house is on fire. Mm-hmm. It, she says this is around I don't know what is that line eight maybe. Um, or nine, and to my God, my heart did cry to straighten me in my distress, capital D. There's not Mm. too much of the odd capitalization (laughs) in this poem as one might expect, but capital D distress, to straighten me in my distress and not to leave me succorless. Now, we don't know what she means by that. Maybe, I don't think she means spare my house. Mm. I think she means may I find some comfort, but the Mm -hmm. first cry of her heart is to be straightened in her distress, mm-hmm. um, which I took to mean, God, help me respond rightly right. mm-hmm. to right. this mm-hmm. tragic thing that's yeah. happening to me. It's mm-hmm. not save me. It's not save my stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's straighten me, um, help me to do the right thing, and also don't leave me without any comfort. Yeah. But the request yeah. first is for a right response. And, and sucker is an interesting term, right? You don't need that unless you've lost something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
in those first two lines, it's in Silent Night when rest I took. So she's asleep, taking some rest at night, as you should. And for sorrow near, I did not look. I, I'm, I'm able to rest. I'm yeah. at rest in my home mm-hmm. because this is where I get to not worry yeah. about mm-hmm. sorrow. How many of us go to bed thinking, oh, my house doesn't burn down today. Right. Mm-hmm. How many people are in this house? She doesn't yeah. talk about people, and that yeah. struck me from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think what I would have expected of her was to look for her children or her mm-hmm. husband, um, or to at least mention mm-hmm. that they've mm-hmm. <laughs> that they've yeah. gotten out. <clears throat> yeah. um, now, of course, this is written after the fact, right? Yeah. So this mm-hmm. everybody's out. That's you know, she she and she's thinking about like this is this is a reflection back mm-hmm. on what happened. She already, I mean, we know they're all okay. Yeah. But that's, but it, so that's not really what it's about. Who survived? It's like a, it's like a TV movie, right? <laughs> it's more about sort of the orientation of her feelings. What what did I think I was losing? And now as I reflect, what did I really lose? And what yeah. should I really value? And I think I think that's, that's uh, important given that she writes about her children and her husband a lot. In fact, right. her right. To My Dear and Loving Husband is her other most, most famous, famous poem. Right. Yeah. So the fact that she's not focused on family, yeah, I think is an interesting creative decision in that this is about me dealing with this. This isn't, this isn't like book two of the Aeneid, like get everybody out, Troy is burning. Yeah. Um, I don't doubt that that night she was concerned about her children. Yeah. Yeah. But now days or however much time later, that's less of an issue than her. It keeps it intimately personal. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you don't have a crowd of other people. Right. Yeah, that, that's just very interesting. And I, I wonder if if she she prays that God doesn't leave her suckerless. I feel like the experience of writing this poem, or the experiences that she describes in the poem, of going sort of back and forth between, it's okay for some reasons, oh, but I'm sad, mm-hmm. oh, but I'm not thinking right. That itself seems to become the sucker, right? This process seems to be some sort of divine sucker for her, mm-hmm. or natural sucker. It's It's interesting that it's written in iambic tetrameter, rhyming iambic tetrameter, which Dickinson will use primarily. Mm-hmm. And it's similarly Dickinsonian, I think, in its movements of thought. Yeah. In considering this and then remembering ultimate issues, but then being thrown back to uh, the problems of loss. Maybe it's not her that's Dickinsonian. Maybe it's Dickinson that is Bradstreet. <laughs> well, the intervening two centuries. Yeah, sure, right. sure. <laughs> I wonder if we don't say... I wonder, I wonder if anyone's actual response to this poem is, why isn't she writing about what happened to her family? Um, I think it's a good question to ask, but I wonder uh, if we don't in part expect that just because she's a woman. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Where yeah, like, yeah. if I'm, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't know how helpful or useful this line of inquiry truly mm-hmm. is because as uh, our logic te- teacher, Mr. Yi would chide me, <laughs> uh, but were a man to write a poem about the burning of his house, mm-hmm. I wonder if we would be asking ourselves why he's uh, why he's not in detail recounting his terror at the thought of his children yeah. burning up in a flame. Yeah, I think I thought that specifically, like mm-hmm. as a mother specifically, mm-hmm. I would expect a mention of children. But I also wonder if the thing she mourns in her house is distinctly feminine. Hmm. Thinking of the table that she would have been responsible for, mm-hmm. the marriage of her children in the yeah. future. Mm. Um, no mention of the workbench or yeah, yeah. <laughs> well it just and it, it's very touching like mm-hmm. this this would be the center of the feminine world right, right. she's mm-hmm. she's lost yeah. everything yeah. in losing her house and women are also the keepers of the stuff in this mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. Uh, women come with their whole kit and caboodle right, when exactly. you marry them that's how you know uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reminded of a uh, 
the quiet man uh, that it's totally irrelevant but John Wayne and uh, uh, Maureen O'Hara and she won't marry him until her dad gives her her, her stuff mm-hmm. it's like the tables like the family the family china because it's the only thing she has in the world to contribute because she can't work she refuses to leave unless she's able to get mm-hmm. all of her things and keep them with her and in that sense now here's something that Anne can't do right for her children like yeah. they can't mm-hmm. do that now yeah. yeah, it's what Megan was saying before. There's nothing to pass on. Right, yeah. right. I think this is funny because in the 19th century, most of the poetry that we that has been condemned for being sentimental about children and family and the hearth, it comes from men. It comes from the fireside poets, Whittier, Lowell, Longfellow. So it's interesting that we expect this from a woman to, mm-hmm. to think about the, the home, hearth and home. But in American poetry, we get that a lot from men. Um, and actually, if we want to, if we want to f- talk about later female poetry, um, f- female poets, uh, I think of Wheatley and Dickinson. They're primarily not writing mm-hmm. about familial experience, or if they are, it's not as it's not as mothers. Yeah. And that, I don't know. That's kind of ironic to me. But that would get into talking about sentimentality and masculinity and femininity. Well, this is yeah. this is just a distinctly domestic poem. Yeah, is, yeah. You know, really because is. it's centered on her home and yeah. the loss of a home. It's it's literally domestic. Yeah. It's the domus <laughs> that's being lost. And I think I think that's what I I keep going back to is what a central loss she's mm-hmm. experiencing. Mm-hmm. I love. I I can't help but it puts a smile on my face uh, near the end of the poem. Uh, when she's talking about this house that is prepared by the mighty architect that is richly furnished with glory. It's not just a nice mm-hmm. big house. It's a beautifully furnished house, better than anything that she's lost. But then she says, it's purchased and paid for too by him who hath enough to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, this guy, God, <laughs> you know, moving and making the heavens and the earth uh-huh. and governing all and he made me a very nice house uh-huh. he had enough to do uh-huh. but yeah. he loved me yeah. enough that he he bought it and he's it's already paid for yeah, not on credit. <laughs> <laughs> the man probably has great credit but <laughs> it's purchased and it's paid for by someone who let's face it had other things on his plate yeah yeah. That, that that's great because it it's the type of consideration about the loss of a house that you might not expect to to be explored in poetry. Um, okay, so how how far in were we in paying this back right. before it? There's no burns? mortgages on yeah. the uh, heavenly home. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's that's cool too. All of a sudden, that this is the economics of heaven. Also bought and paid for, right? That's very much salvific language. Echo there, you're right. Yeah, exactly. uh, and Edward we Taylor paid for. Edward Taylor, I think, who's writing a little after her, is going to use a lot of legal and economic mm-hmm. metaphors about about sin and salvation. Yeah, she does say right after that, it's it's a bought and paid for house, which he then is making his gift to me. Mm-hmm. Yet by his gift is made thine own. Mm. So does that put? God in a husband role to her or in a father role to her? It struck me as a professional role. Yeah, he, God's he's my contractor. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Like he's, <laughs> he's the one who knows what he's doing, will put together a beautiful house and richly furnish it. 
Mm-hmm. The architects I've worked with, though, always wanted to be paid. <laughs> they don't give much They're not away. interested in yeah. giving you yeah. the house yeah. as a gift after yeah. paying off the mortgage for you. There mm-hmm. is, though, you know, that language of the bridegroom is hard to shake. Mm-hmm. There are There's a lot of biblical yeah. stuff going on. Yeah. Um, the, the, the bridegroom's voice is not going to be heard in this house. The idea of, you know, the man who the man who leaves to prepare a place for you, you know, which is language we get from the gospel. It's the it's the bridegroom who does that. He mm-hmm. leaves and sets everything up and then you are brought right. to that home. Yeah, that can't be a coincidence. Yeah. Um, so I, it is the architect, capital A architect um, that's being discussed. But when it becomes a gift. It, to me, the the his gift, uh, it, it just it reminds me again of the um, Christ as bridegroom. Mm-hmm. Well, culturally, who who gives the gift of a house? Mm-hmm. The bridegroom gives it. He, mm-hmm. yeah, he he makes mm-hmm. the, he builds that house. He puts mm-hmm. those timbers together, etc. Mm-hmm. In silent night, when rest I took, for sorrow near I did not look. I wakened was with thundering noise and piteous shrieks of dreadful voice. That fearful sound of fire and fire. Let no man know is my desire. I, starting up, the light did spy, and to my God my heart did cry to straighten me in my distress, and not to leave me succorless. Then, coming out, behold a space, the flame consume my dwelling place. And when I could no longer look, I blessed his name that gave and took, that laid my goods now in the dust. Yea, so it was, and so t'was just. It was his own, it was not mine. Far be it that I should repine. He might of all justly bereft, but yet sufficient for us left. When by the ruins oft I passed, my sorrowing eyes aside did cast, and here and there the places spy where oft I sate and long did lie. Here stood that trunk, and there that chest. Here lay that store I counted best. My pleasant things in ashes lie, and them behold no more shall I. Under thy roof no, no guest shall sit, nor at thy table eat a bit. No pleasant talk shall e'er be told, nor things are counted done of old. No candle e'er shall shine in thee, nor bridegroom's voice e'er heard shall be. In silence ever shalt thou lie, adieu, adieu, all's vanity. Then straight I gin my heart to chide, and did thy wealth on earth abide? Didst fix thy hope on moldering dust? The arm of flesh didst make thy trust? Raise up thy thoughts above the sky, that dunghill mists away may fly. Thou hast a house on high erect, framed by that mighty architect, with glory richly furnished, stands permanent, though this be fled. It's purchased and paid for too by him who hath enough to do, a price so vast as is unknown, yet by his gift is made thine own. There's wealth enough, I need no more. Farewell, my pelf, farewell, my store. The world no longer let me love. My hope and treasure lies above. Megan, as you were reading, I don't know if it's intentional, there was sort of an inflection in your voice when you got to uh, that dunghill mists Mm -hmm. away may fly. You know, if you've ever seen, like immediately after a fire, right, Mm -hmm. you know, the firemen have hosed it down, it's all watered, right? Mm -hmm. There is a mist that rises up off of that. Right. Out, of, out of the charred, you know, ashes mm-hmm. of, of a house, or, you know, wh- or whatever. But she calls it dunghill mist. They mm-hmm. also produce a mist, but in, for different reasons, <laughs> yeah. right? Maybe I'm regarding this too much. Like, maybe I'm thinking too much. Maybe it's just dung. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the real stuff is with my eyes towards the sky and see what's really there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The the chiding, uh, the, the, the move so quickly, 
you're right, from being so, talking to the house like it's a person who has died, filled yeah. with all of your most right. precious things, and then equating the piles of your burned, remained house to piles of poop. <laughs> 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 and the ash, you know, floating off of them yeah. is like the stench of a dunghill. Suddenly, the remains are repulsive to her because mm -hmm. they are preventing her from seeing yeah. the, you know, well, getting platonic again, but see, seeing the form of home, the true reality of the heavenly place exactly. that's been prepared. That makes you revile this thing because it's tripping you up mm -hmm. by trapping you in uh, concern over the material uh, possessions that you've acquired. The series of, when I was reading it out loud, the series of uh, rhetorical questions to yourself, mm -hmm. she's chiding herself. Mm -hmm. It's sort of yeah, a, hey, right, come exactly. on, snap out on. of it. Right, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it seems a little uh, hyperbolic to call the remains of the house, mm -hmm. you know, the, the dunghill mists. Pauline, though, right? All, all our good mm -hmm. works are yeah. as dirty rags. Yeah. It's not, yeah. oh, our sin is dirty. It's, hey, the best we do compared to, to that which is heavenly. Mm -hmm. It's it's nothing. I, I think it's it's interesting how she kind of writes herself into an explicit meditation on the words of Paul and and an explicit meditation on especially the um, lay not up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Is that Jesus who says that? Lay not time? up for yourselves yeah. treasures on earth. On earth, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> where moth and rust do. Well, so actually, it's really easy to mess that up. I've yes. heard preachers try and quote that section and. Where your heart is, there will be your treasure also, they say, instead of where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. I've heard pastors meditate on, it's really easy to get that wrong, because it's really easy to get that wrong. Yes. <laughs> well, even as she wraps it up, the world no longer left me love. The no longer part, right? We're back to the chiding, like, maybe I've loved this world too much. Yeah. yeah. And, and this tragic thing, this burning of my house, actually maybe this is, this is good for me. Right now, it's reoriented my love to where it should be. No longer let me love my hope and treasure lies above. These these rhetorical questions that Megan mentioned, the one that stuck out to me was, did fix thy hope on moldering dust? Mm -hmm. Like, really? Is that, is that what we're going to hope in? I had a beautiful dung pile of my own. Right. <laughs> I was warm. Yeah. <laughs> And, and it's right after that that she wants it to fly away. She wants to see it as a dunghill that can fly away so that she can look above. Mm -hmm. um, or she looks above so that it can right. fly away. Yeah. And remembers where a real home lies that cannot be destroyed. Mm -hmm. Stands permanent, though mm -hmm. this be fled. I like the this be fled because it makes it sound like the house ran away. It's more like the house itself was unreliable, which it was. It's mm -hmm. not something to rely on. Right. This thing that you had is not permanent. It is going to, like all things, run away from you. It's going to leave you. That's why it's not worth putting your permanent hope in it. It's funny that we're talking about permanence because of the uh, age of this poem. I keep thinking it's weird that this poem lasts when the house didn't. Because it, it does seem traditional to meditate on, uh, Shakespeare does this a lot. Oh, my beloved, you will fade, but my poem about you won't. Uh, but also, <laughs> and then you live forever. Yeah, and then you live forever. But, but poetry too, I think, I say as a writer myself, all of us who write and sometimes take pride in our writing, which I, my guess is, in fact, everyone in this room from time to time uh, feels that way. Um, that, that also fades. But it's interesting that this poem about the fading of uh, material creations and goods hasn't faded yet. 
and I'm glad for it. Yes. Yeah. 350 years and counting, we'll, yeah. we'll see. All right, well, uh, thanks everybody for taking the time to talk about this poem. Again, uh, the poem we were discussing today, uh, Verses Upon the Burning of Our House by Anne Bradstreet. I encourage you to give it a read and do some thinking about it. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, thank, thank, you. You. thank you. All right, uh, this was uh, Constantinople Forum, a podcast of the St. Constantine School. Thanks for listening. <laughs>